You're listening to The Uncommon Podcast, where we celebrate the stories of men and women who are living uncommon lives. These individuals pursue excellence and purpose in their relationships and work. They optimize their health and stewardship, and they embody victorious vision and fervent faith. Be inspired and encouraged to follow your own uncommon path and live a life of authenticity, accountability, and adventure. Welcome, everybody, to The Uncommon Podcast, where I'm your host, Philip. Hey, I'm Ryan. Thanks for tuning in. We always thank people, and I just like to do that. There might be only three people listening, but uh, maybe four, both of our parents. Yeah, our moms for sure. For sure. So let's just go with two avid (laughs) listeners. No, I'm just kidding. We've actually gotten some feedback of this and saw how important this is to try to figure out how to be uncommon in today's world. It is, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting kind of time. And I am gravitating to those people who are thinking different Hmm. because a lot of people are just like falling victim or whatever, but this is a podcast we hope to help celebrate those people who are looking at an uncommon perspective. And today we have an amazing, amazing guest. Who is it? His name is Andrew Pistorius. Let me give you his bio. He is married, happily married. I'd like to say that and has a gangle of children. Oh, good word. As soon as you get over three, you get a gangle. Uh, He has four. He has two boys, two girls, amazing, works for a family as a CFO in Ames, Iowa, and uh, he <laughs> loved the guy. His level of uh, intelligence and stewardship is second to none. In fact, he was one of the people who were the founding fathers, as we say, Ooh. of the fraternity. So welcome to the show, Andrew Pistorius. Thank you. Yeah, excited. Really excited to be here. <laughs> oh, man. And I will tell you, and I've never told you this, but there was a couple people in the first uh, The Fraternity that I really wanted. Andrew Pistorius was like, he probably won't come, but if he does, it's going to be even better. And he came and he's been dialed in ever since. I so did. tell us about your experience with The Fraternity. And yeah, let's just start there. Yeah, so I... Um... I think the way I first heard about it was I just saw Philip posted something about like, Hey, who wants to do an Epic guys weekend? Yeah. And I kind of like knew you in the periphery of my life. Right. But, uh, but I knew I'm like, if Philip does something, it will be awesome. <laughs> and so I just, I think I, all I did, I think all I did was like the post. You're, that was it. Like I didn't comment on it. I didn't, I, I wasn't like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, but I, uh, I just liked the post and then got my daughter said she found something in a tree one day. And um, that's how I got invited. That's how you're <laughs> interesting. Did I not tell you that? Oh, man. No. Yeah, yes. We got to hear this. Okay. So, so one thing that I, the listeners have to understand is once somebody said, well, I called, I called their spouses to make sure that they yeah. could come. And when they said that they could come, I sent them an invitation to say, hey, they've been invited and it's your job to somehow give it to your husband in a very interesting way. I never heard the yeah. tree story. So <laughs> Cecilia, my oldest at the time, I think she was seven. She, I kind of saw her doing it, but like I, w- I had just gotten home from work and like was going into the house and I saw her like run off to our neighbor's house. And then I come back outside cause the kids are playing outside or something. And then she comes up with, you know, like a really like over pronounced acting <laughs> yes. like dad, I just found this in, in Liesl's tree. Yes, it did. has your Cecilia. name on it. <laughs> yep. And I was like, Oh, that's so weird. And I was like, Philip would do that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So what was in the tree? 
It was an it, my invite to the okay. fraternity. Yeah. So, it, so that was how I kind of got first invited to it. And I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. Nice. And then you went to the weekend, which was amazing. You've been it, in there to both weekends. Yes. yes. Yeah. It, yeah. It was, it was really, really great. I'm not super extroverted. Mm-hmm. And so like when I told some of my friends that I was like, oh, I'm going, I'm going to go do this fraternity weekend with seven, six guys that I don't know or seven guys yeah. I don't know. People are like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Who does and, that? Yeah. But I like to think that I'm like a functioning introvert where it's like, right. if I'm excited about something, I can really get kind of yes. go all in. And that's what, it, and it was worth that. It was worth it. Oh man. And yeah, it was great. The fact that nobody knew about it was even, I think, more counterintuitive than anybody. Wait, how much did you pay? And what are you doing for a right. weekend? Because the time is a huge right. asset. Yes. Uh, and then after that week, I, I mean, it was life changing for everybody, mm-hmm. not just me, but everybody. I thought that was super fun. So. That's the kind of fun thing that we're going to try to implore in this, uh, the in common, have live events and have more people because there's just not a lot of experiences and excitement that we get at as, as adult men or as adults in period. So, okay. But we're talking about stewardship. We are. Tell us why you get so jazzed up about it. Yeah. I think I've had some really unique experiences in my life that like have trained me to think about it. So one is just ever since I've been a kind of a young adult, I always like thought about personal finance stuff. Mm -hmm. And one of the unique things about my job is my first kind of first real job out of college was I worked on a construction site for a fortune something, fortune 100, fortune 200 construction company. And basically the first day I showed up, I did payroll. So I knew what everybody made instantly. (laughs) And so my entire career has really, has largely been built on carrying around that knowledge. So, so that was like the first 10 years of my career there. And then a couple of years at another company where it was a similar environment. And then I went and worked at a church as the CFO. And then I knew what everybody made (laughs) and what everybody gave. Gave. And so, so I feel like I have been kind of uniquely trained to carry some like of that weighty information And, and certainly like at, at the church, it's like, you have to teach yourself not to either to think, uh, too positively or too negatively of people about people because of how much they do or do not give. And so similarly, it's like, well, over the course of my time, um, in, in construction, it was, I, I got trained on how to not think because I was the business guy and I work with a bunch of engineers. So they all make more than me. But so it was like you train yourself wow. not to think more or less of someone because of their paycheck versus yeah, your paycheck. Right. And, and good, I, th- good I think exercise. Yes. And I think that's really, really key to, to kind of unlocking a lot of stewardship stuff because stewardship, it's just going to mean different things to different people because mm-hmm. we've been entrusted with different things. Right. <laughs> so good. I'm curious. So with the knowledge of what your fellow congregants yeah. gave at your church, like how did that influence your own approach to giving or I just can't imagine like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, um, the, our pastor does a, d- did a really good job of just talking practically about giving. Like, you know, he, the, the idea was like, we don't ever really want to arrive. We're not saying you need to arrive at a certain place in giving. It's, mm-hmm. it's more about the trajectory than it is about the position. Right. So it's like, well, if you give a dollar a, a year right now, the next year, give a little bit more mm-hmm. it took, because we want to grow you in generosity, grow you in, in how you steward your money and your time. And, and it's not just money, but like that's being a CFO. That's most of what I think about. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. And the uncommon thing that your church does, because I was attending that church and then we had a church plant that attended. You don't pass the, uh, the what basket. is it? The basket around. Right. You don't do that. So if somebody comes in and they're like, how do I give here? Because nobody's passing the basket. Like there is a different 
psychological thing of like, hey, we want people to to give for the right reasons, yeah. not because they feel obligated because here comes a basket here. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. And I love that component of both of our churches now. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's very counterintuitive than what people think. And what it does, it harvests is, I think the right mindset of, Hey, I want to give because this is out of like joy yes. and I want to yeah. be a part of something that's bigger than me. So, yeah. Um, and, and one of the things that was really helpful is the guy who had done the finances was also a pastor. Mm. Um, and so he was really good at helping me kind of move from, you know, private industry into, into the, the nonprofit world where he's like, you know, if you think a lot about how, about what people aren't giving, you you'll it will it will ruin your perception of them he's like instead you just need to like he's like look at what look at the people who are and what they are giving and just be so thankful Hmm. for the for the generosity that people exhibit that's a good lesson yeah and it also the other thing i think is uh if you can stop assuming Mm. right if you you can kind of lead uh, um, lead with the best available motive as opposed to the worst available motive, then right. it, it makes all, it unlocks a lot of that sort of kind of prejudgment totally. things like that. Yeah. Giving people the benefit of the doubt. Yes. Yeah. I'd, I'd be curious to like take a step back even and ask like, how did your perspective of stewardship take shape? Even like growing up, like how was that modeled to you? How was it taught? What did it look like? Yeah, that is, that's kind of interesting because I don't really know. <laughs> um, like I, I know that I have given, um, I think for as long as I've had a job mm. um, now I don't, but I don't remember like having like a money talk with mm. my parents. I don't remember having, like, I don't remember going through that. I'm not saying they didn't do it, but I don't remember it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I just know that like, certainly ever since I have been an adult, I know that I've, I've given consistently out of my paycheck. Um, and, and part of that is, and, and what I've, what I've told like guys that I've had in D groups and stuff is like, if you won't give a dime on a dollar, you won't give 10,000 on a hundred thousand. Ain't that the truth. Right. Like, and, and, it, and the hard part about that though, is you're like, but it's a dime. Right. Um, but, but the, it's a mindset, but it's, it's, it's a mindset. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. It's, it's a mindset. And it's like, well, cause if once, you know, once you've got 10,000 to give, you can spend that 10,000 really fast. Yeah. So, sure can. When I get a million, then I'll. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Whoever can be faithful with a little can be faithful yes, with much. Exactly. I think it's really interesting thinking about, cause I know a little bit more about you than I think probably the average listener does. And we've spent some time together, yeah. but here's feeling your career path and how it's uniquely trained you for today's like your experiences. Yeah. I'd love for you to talk through that because a lot of times our experiences help shape of who we are. Yeah. And a lot of times people just ignore that as not valuable. Yeah. I don't think that's what you've done. In fact, you've done the exact opposite of yeah. like, okay, this added to that to build on this, to get me to where we're at. Yeah. And then like you've used all the positive things I think in your life to get you to where you're at today. So I'd love you like just to fly over for sure. Yeah. Quick fly over. Yeah. So, so I, uh, the construction company I work for. So first off, like the, my first job out of college was actually Shields sporting goods. Like, mm. right? like and I, oh, yeah. I hated it. <laughs> Were you a register guy? Just no, standing? I was, the, I was the baseball softball manager oh, slash man. Alpine ski. Okay. Which yeah, Cause those be, correlate. Right. To be I clear, <laughs> I Alpine skied once in my life. I was eight and I cried. Okay. So, um, but so I worked there for like four months, but I met my wife there. Mm. Um, and, and so we started dating for like a month and then I was like, I can't do this anymore. And not dating her. She's <laughs> like, can you be yeah, more specific? Yeah, yeah exactly. Fair. Uh, and, and so I had a, a good friend who it just so happened that his dad was the CEO of this giant construction company. Right. And so he's like, dude, if you don't like that job, you should just go apply with them. And, and so I was like, okay, fine, whatever. And so I, anyway, I got that job and I worked in Chicago for a couple of years. Um, 
And, and so like talking about kind of watching how my life unfolded and where Mm -hmm. I ended up, it was like, okay, well, I was in Chicago. I was supposed to go to this job in Indiana. It got delayed and it was supposed to be like, you know, it was a really successful job, all those sorts of things. It got delayed. Well, because it got delayed, I ended up getting sent to Southern Texas where we were built border fence. And, um, and so in that role, uh, I ended up like had some, some executives from the the kind of business unit there that were really impressed with some stuff that I did. And so that kind of, <laughs> it got me on the radar corporately. Right. And, um, and so then I kind of got into some, some, uh, I, I had some more favorable. So I did like a rotation through Omaha where I learned a lot about, um, I learned a lot about our internal corporate policies. Um, and that was when my wife and I got married. <clears throat> well, then I was supposed to go to, right, that we were supposed to win a job that was like a $2 billion job in Colorado. And Gosh. we lost it by like $400 million. Mm. Oh. It wasn't close. Oh. And, but, I had already, but they already moved me to Colorado. And so Brandy and I are in, are in Colorado. And then they send me to, this, to Pueblo for a job that was really unsuccessful, like, like a failure from my perspective. Like, yeah. I did, like I did a bad job. People around me did a bad job. With job took a reversal, which is a really big deal. Anyway, and so <clears throat> kind of a you know real humbling moment. Um, but while we were in Colorado, we got we went to we went to this kind of big church that felt kind of dead, and ended up going to this really tiny church after that. And it was like a tiny church in Aurora, Colorado, which is kind of a rougher part of Denver, hmm. and just had incredibly faithful pastor and a really wide socioeconomic group of people there. And so while I was there, at one point, the pastor knew that I did something with finance. And so he was like, hey, would you, um, would you counsel the, these, this older couple on budget? And I was like, okay. Wow. And I mean, this was like one, well, the gal was an immigrant from Brazil and had no social security benefits and no income, and wow. he was on disability. And so it was like a huge wake up call to someone who kind of grew up in the Midwest. The idea of like, oh, if you, if you don't have enough money, you just need to bootstrap it and figure it out. Hmm. And it was like, oh, I need more empathy for people. And so that was kind of a big punch in the face um, for me. And then, and then, and then work got really slow. I got really bored. I volunteered to go help the business unit in Kansas City because I wanted more to do. And so when we told our church that, our pastor, without us knowing, had basically called ahead and found us a church. Wow. And so we had two churches we were going to go visit when we got there. And we get to the first one, and it just so happens like the next week they're doing like a brown bag lunch or something and at somebody's house. And we're like, well, we should really come back for that, right? Because we're going to go to one church, then the other, and they make yeah, a decision. So right. we, we went to that brown bag lunch, and it was like, this is our place. Wow. So we went to one church, and that's one of the things that that's... Because that's not easy to find no, a church. No, it's not. That's, re- that's one of the things that's really right. hard. But at that church is where they had... It was a church plant a few years old. They needed help with budgeting. And so I helped them with that. And I was like, man, this is like, I, I really found a lot of energy from doing that. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, it'd be sweet if someday I could do this as a job. Oh, that's ridiculous. That'll never happen. <laughs> Nobody will pay me for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so then eventually kind of my work, I got promoted a couple of times and then it just became kind of too much. And we wanted our kids to grow up near home, which is central Iowa. So started looking for a, a place to move to, to get a job in Iowa. And when I did that, I took a pay cut. But it was like, okay, but it's a more, it's kind of a lower stress job. We'll be, we'll be where we want to be. Right. And one of the reasons we moved where we did in Ames is because we wanted to go to our church because we said in all that, in all of my moving, all of our moving, we had church shocked a lot and it's awful. And so we just wanted to know, Hey, it's barf in my mouth. It's barf in your mouth. Exactly. There it is. Yep. (laughs) At least if we, if we live in Ames, we can go to this church. But that was the intention was to be, you know, faithful members and leaders and things like that. Did that, you know, moved back to Iowa in, in 2016. And then in 2018, uh, our lead pastor was asking some of his friends, like, hey, who could be a t- church CFO? Hmm. 
so my friend my friend Jared who who you know he's he was good friends with me and he said hey you should talk to Andrew and I think our our pastor was prepared to like really have to convince me because it was going to be a pretty sizable pay cut but because of like so now it's like back all the way up to Colorado well because that pastor called the church in Kansas City and I ended up there and that's the people I helped wow now I had this it was like oh yeah this is like a calling mm, right and so when when he was like hey I I think I'd like you to do that and I was like great let's do it <laughs> And so, you know, it was like a 40% pay cut or something. Um, but wow. I was like, we'll figure it out. You know, we've got, yeah. we got some money in the bank. We can, we can, we can bleed for a little while right. and see how this all works out. It's a pretty sweet deal. Yeah. And then what ended up happening was, so then that was 2018, 20 and 2020 hits with COVID. We cut our church budget by a lot. Mm. And I basically told the pastor to fire me. Yeah, because I was like, listen, I can go find another job because what had happened is I'd just been talking to friends elsewhere and say, hey, how's the remote work thing? How's that going? Well, kind of time after time, I kept getting this like, hey, you could probably help us since we're doing all remote work now. And I was like, well, maybe I should listen to that as wisdom. Yeah. And so then I told one of my staffers that I told the um, told them told Mark to fire me. And she told her father in law who owns the company that I now work for. Ta-da. Yep. And here we are. And so now, and so now it's like, and I you're doing, this, you're yeah. doing what you once thought there's no way somebody would pay me. Yeah. So now it's like, I help I help both on with a construction and manufacturing business, which, um, I've got, had experience in both mm-hmm. of those. And then also helping kind of, you know, help helping this family transition from one generation to the next and, and thinking about how they steward the, all the, you know, this kind of big business, this right. business they've built. Um, so yeah, it's been like, I can look back and pull the thread and very clearly see it connect to everything. So and it's, cool. and it's a, it's really, it's kind of like a gift to, yeah. to be able to do that. Right. Cause otherwise it could, you know, it like, it, it just helps me know that life isn't totally random. Right. And thinking about just the pay cuts, like that's not in the cards for a lot of people right. normally. And when you are called to something bigger than yourself, I think sometimes it's like, Oh, well I think, I wish more people would hear that and not worry about the money and do like yeah. you said, like we will figure it out. Well, and, and it yeah. happens. And p- part of that also was that taking the first pay cut, I think is what allowed me to take the second mm. one. Right. Because it, because the, the you figured fir- it the, out. Well, and the first one, like it was like, I decoupled my identity from my income. Oh, that's good. So it's like, once you've done that, it's like, Oh yeah, I, I have the same value on this planet, whether I make a million or make it a hundred. That's good, Andrew. Um, and so that, that was really key in the next one. Which was a lot bigger. Yeah, you kind of slowly ripped the band-aid off. Well, you ripped off two band-aids. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Oh man. I got somebody. Go ahead, Ron. Well, I just so, gotta stop. Yeah, a lot of directions we could go <laughs> with from what you just shared. But one thing you were sharing with us before we even got on was just a very interesting concept of money between friends. And yeah. I would love for you to unpack and share about yeah, that. I think one of the most important things for me at least, and I think it's I think it would be super valuable valuable for a lot of people is I think you should have at least one friend that knows absolutely everything about your financial situation. Mm. Um, And it's a really hard thing to do because money's super taboo. But I think, I just think it's really helpful because you just, because otherwise if you're trying to talk through like any sort of money situation in your life, it's like everything's kind of veiled and you're like, right? Yes, it's terrible. I think one of the keys to, to working is like, you need to know that the person that you're sharing that with needs nothing from you and you need nothing from them. Right, right, right. Because like I have the friend that I have, he and I have been friends for 
Ace. Yeah. Can ace. we just say? Yeah, Ace. For like 20 ace? years, I think. What, what? Fellow recruit? No, more than 20. Fellow yeah, recruit. Yeah, more than 20. We've been friends for over 20 years. Yeah. And like Ace lived in my closet in Chicago. Oh, yeah. And, yep. and like. Your homie. I think his dad paid me a small amount of rent every month when Ace was, he, he was finished and he was doing <laughs> yes. art, art school, right? So, so it's like. He already has known everything about my money because at that point I'm like, well, he doesn't have anything. What does it matter if he knows what I make? <laughs> right. Um, and so anyway, so it's just been a really valuable relationship because it's like, one, you can it you can just joke around with someone that's kind of on your same level with what mm-hmm. you're doing, mm-hmm. but also like when it's when you want to talk about the business that that him and him and his wife are running, you can really get into the practical the practical the practical parts of it and talk about like, oh, what are you doing for this or that right. or. So, yeah, it's been a re- to me. It's been a really, really uh, a, a gift. I think one of the the things that I'm uniquely trained for is that whole like I've known people's I've known payroll and I've known giving. Right, right. And so that's like one of the things I've thought about with this whole concept of money between friends is like you have to carry the weight of de- of details and discretion. Mm. So it's like you have to be able to walk around with those details in your head and be okay with it because it's mm, right. it's because it is a burden. So practically, let's talk through how that is. Because I think a lot of people are like, yeah, that sounds right. Like, I should have one person that knows everything about my finances. Yeah. Okay, how do you do that, though? Yeah. Like, what's the application of that? Yeah. If you were like, okay, I want to do that. Um, I think I think one of the things to start... Well, first off, it would the most important thing would be that, like, their spouse and your spouse know that you're sharing that <laughs> well, information. Like, start. I, I, think that, I think that's start. probably the most important yeah. thing. Um, and then beyond that, I think it, it's it, it would start as simple as, like, how much like start with like well how much do you make how much yeah. do you save how, right. like so let's talk about budget like it, it for me it's just it like one of my favorite sayings is it's just math yeah so like it's numbers yeah it's just numbers like it we don't you don't have to wrap them up in who you are mm-hmm. um but so often that's what we do and that's what makes it hard mm-hmm. okay that's good i think that if we talk about cube uh this budgeting app yeah. I think it's really nice because sometimes I'll just like pull that up and people are like, this is actually your budget. And I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> this is everything. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of nice to do that. But. Yeah. Kind of, a, it appeals to just the level of authentic relationships. Like right. Radical relate. That is a radical relationship. Yes. If you have yeah. a friendship that, uh, where that person, you know, knows the ins and outs of your finances and you guys can have those conversations and, and not compare and not, uh, view each other any any differently or in a negative light yeah and, um i think that's that's super cool well and sometimes sometimes it's actually helpful because you can encourage people to spend more money mm. right it's like hey you need to invest in your relationship with your wife more than what you are like mm-hmm. you need to celebrate things and, and that that's that's some of the stuff where it's like if no one knows anything about that like you can yeah. just walk right past all of it and not ever get right. that sort of advice. Right. Yeah. Um, because how's anybody ever going to know? Yeah. I don't see very much money in your date budget. Like R- when's right. the last time yeah. you guys went on a date or yeah. where is somewhere you guys are trying to like travel or yes. whatever yeah. that looks like. Yeah. So it's good. Good accountability there. Yeah. It's good. And some of the, so like a lot of the, the ideas that I've come up with, like just ta- thinking about how does that sort of interaction work? It's, it's come from like a few different books. One is God and money. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, like that one, the, they talk about having a personal board of directors and one of the guy, one of the guys talked about how he had a pastor on it and everybody thought, well, the pastor's going to look at how much you give and all that sort of stuff. But the pastor's comment was, Hey, you don't, you don't spend a lot of money on dates with your wife. <laughs> why not? And so that like, that's part of why I think that's wow. valuable. Um, and then the other, another one that has nothing to do with budgeting, but it's, um, it's called the power of moments by Chip and Dan Heath. Oh yeah. And it's really interesting because we read that when I was on staff at church. Um, but that one's really interesting to me as a dad, 
thinking about like building moments with my kids and yeah. o- and potentially over investing in those yeah. in a way that's maybe a little bit not, not that's not, not the memory practical. dividends that's not the book that we no read. that's that's die with zero but it's similar it's a okay. similar yeah same um, content yeah in in uh in the power of moments they talk about uh the soul-sucking reasonableist is a, uh, it's like a person yeah and i am that person right 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 because it's like optimize efficiency all those sorts mm. of things and those people kill moment building because you try to optimize things to the point where everything just runs really nice and smooth. And the point of a moment is that you're trying to build to a thing. Ah, yeah. And be so, present. There's yes. some spontaneity yes. involved. Yes. Yeah. It kind of seems like we're even talking about how money, you know, that's one aspect of stewardship. Cause it we is, also yeah. talk about like stewarding your time yep. and your, your talents and possessions, how money is just a, a cog in like your greater legacy yeah. of the life that you live. I'd even be curious to hear from you, Andrew, of like, you know, what is that? How do you approach stewardship within like your marriage and even your family? Like, what are those conversations with your wife look like? And even as you think about making those moments with your kids, like, what yeah. Is that like yeah. So one of, one of the things that has come up in our life, um, when we moved back to Ames, we live kind of really close. We live close to Iowa state. And so we bought this house and there's this room in the basement that six months in, I was like, we use it. I go down there twice a month by myself to watch sports. I'm like, this is a, so I was like, Brandy. So I I became really convicted about like, Hey, we are not stewarding like this asset in our lives. Um, very well. And so I was like, Brandy, we either have to move or we have to use our house differently. Hmm. And, we had moved a lot and <laughs> she wasn't that wasn't yeah. yeah. not to answer Andrew. <laughs> yeah. And so we decided to use our house differently. So we built, we, we kind of converted the space downstairs mm. into a little like studio apartment. And the goal there being is, I mean, we do charge a small amount for rent, but our goal, we've always said the goal is to help college kids get through school with a little bit less debt. Ah. and to let allow them to be as much a part of our family as they'd like to be. Mm, yeah, and cool. so we have had, right. so like that's one of those things where it's like um, one of the other things I think about when I think about this, the concept of money is, is like asset based generosity. So it's not just like, yes, we want to be generous with our money, but also like possessions. With our, yeah. With our well. possessions. And right. so, so that's one way that we can be generous in a way that is just with an asset that we already own. Yeah. Um, and it's a unique way to do it. And so um, we, and, and of course we reap all sorts of dividends from yeah. that, like building relationship with, with all, with these, uh, with, you know, people that are 10 and 15 years younger than us. Absolutely. Um, and so that that's one that's one that comes to mind. Yeah. The other one is my oldest is uh is so I don't know if I said my our family the gangle we yeah, talking about the gangle, gangle. okay uh, our names go in alphabetical order oh right so Andrew my wife is Brandy our oldest is Cecilia then Dinah then Elijah then Fuller at oh. what point did that become the, the what, plan what, uh, from the outset a month, don't say a, it a month into our marriage oh uh, no. <laughs> yeah. That says a lot right so, there. So, so we, that's the optimizer. Right yes. That's so, yeah, so, 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 reasonable. so we, yeah, we had, we, we talked so about, good. we're like, we weren't even sure if we wanted kids truthfully. And we're like, but if we do, let's just pick out names now. Wow. And so we we're trying to think of like, well, how do you narrow down the billion names that exist? And so we're like, Hey, Maybe. here's a pattern. Yeah. And so we picked out a, a C name, a D name and an E name for a boy and a girl. And we put them on a word in a word file. We put them on a, 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 a <laughs> oh USB hard drive, and we used them. No. And the only one that we had to come up with during the pregnancy was Fuller, because we had always talked about three kids, never never about four. Mm. But Fuller said, "No, Full, we're coming in hot." Yeah, come. Yeah, he did. Yeah, born in the bathroom. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, not on purpose. That's another story. Sorry. Um, yeah. Cool. So anyway, so uh, but my oldest Cecilia, she is very much wired like me, and like just high strung and right. always going things right. like that. And so she has like 
and I'm trying to encourage her kind of entrepreneurial spirit. Uh-huh. And so she has done like she makes uh, bracelets with. Um, that's not the baker. She's, she's the also baker. the baker. Okay, yeah, that's she's, the baker. She's an entrepreneur, just an entrepreneur. Period. <laughs> so she makes like bracelets with pipe cleaners and beads, and then she'll sell them at the end of our driveway. And then she also, yeah, she's done like a bake shop at the end of our driveway where she sold pies and bread that she made. Wow. And um, and so one of the things that I love about it is that we get to talk about giving once she earns the money. Mm. And so it's like, even like now I'm, you know, I have a nine-year-old. And so being able to talk with her about like, okay, well, how much are we going to give and how much are we going to save and how much are we going to spend? Yeah. That Those are some of like just the real simple practical outworkings. It's like, it's nothing, to me, it's nothing like earth changing. Um but it's really fun because it's just kind of in the day to day. And, and it's fun to see your kids get excited about giving. Yes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I got a question for you. Yeah. Okay. So how do you help people separate their identity and their value away from their money? I don't know. The, so I think the first thing that's important is to separate from your work, which is also really difficult for me because totally. I'm an achiever. Yeah. Um, but like I had a friend in Kansas City that he was, you know, he wasn't a, he wasn't a bad worker or anything like that. Mm-hmm. He was a systems engineer and he did a really great job, but he wasn't just always consumed with his work. And I was like, how do you do that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it just baffled Tell me. Tell me more. Yeah. yeah. Well, because from an early age in college, you're like, what are you going to do? And yes. a lot of people yeah. are doing that because why? They get paid a lot. So yeah. It's just ingrained in us. I well, think. even yeah. just the first question we ask when we meet someone is like, what do you do? It's just yeah. so ingrained yeah. Yeah. in and our identity. You, right. yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, I think a big part of it is, is just, that's why I think it's so important to have someone else that you can really open all that stuff up with. Like I had lunch with Ace today and we were talking about this concept of like having like the, 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 the a money friend. And he, he mentioned, he was like, it's so freeing. Hmm. Because, because again, it's like, he knows I'm, I don't need anything from him. Yep. I'm just there to help him. And I know the same thing about him. Wow. That is good. Yeah. I mean, it, it does kind of ba- break down a lot of the barriers yes. that you might have. Or like, Hey, why you say you value this, but like nothing's going to this financially. Like, yeah. do you really? Right. Or, yeah. or maybe you need to add to that. Yeah. That's good. Going back to, um, just your moments with your kids and even what you shared about your daughter, Cecilia, is that mm-hmm. her name? Are there any... Anything that comes to mind of instances where any of your kids just kind of surprised you with something they did in, in regards to stewardship or, um, I mean, I feel like often our, our kids, they will look to give away their money. Um, and like, so what, what has happened, you know, we live near the state, near the football stadium. And so Cecilia will sell bracelets on like a game day. Yeah, she well, will. sometimes it's she'll savvy. do it with her friends. And, and so there, there's a little, you know, so a lot of times it's like, well, she wants to give away her money to give away at least some of the money to her friends. And it's like, okay, like I, the thing is you don't want to kill that, but you also want to help her understand like, Hey, you did a lot of this work. Let's make sure that right. you reap the, like you just want to yeah, demonstrate channel it. Yeah. But, but, but it's like, but I'll take a kid that wants to give it all away before I'll take a kid that wants to, that wants to spend it Hoard all themselves. It all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, and, and even just like when you know once that she's earned some money some spending money to watch her like want to go buy something and say oh and i'll get something for dinah too Mm, that's nice yeah okay i want to pivot because you have a really unique opportunity to see somebody like in a rockefeller type wealth try to transfer it down to the next generation i think that's a really unique thing and a lot of people Mm -hmm. are trying to do that and a lot of people are just focusing on the money how to transition the money well Mm -hmm. i think there's way more opportunities to turn to work on your core values, your experiences, 
And I feel like the family that you work with are doing that well or trying to steward that well. So the next generation doesn't squander the money, but they have a good platform to even transfer to the next generation. Yeah. So tell me in your pers- like perspective, how are they doing that well? And then how can our listeners start positioning themselves so like not worried about the finances, but really what's important to them, which is their core values yeah. and things like that nature, right? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think part of it is that the the kind of founding generation, uh, I think they have a really good self awareness oh. um, because it's like dad is a sales like a salesman and a kind of a gunslinger. Like he would tell you, he's a gunslinger, right? He just mm. kind of he's like, I'm gonna make it. Ha- I'm gonna, I'm gonna cause a bunch of stuff to happen and then I'm gonna make See sure it gets happened. done. Yeah, and and so um, because of that, it's like as he turns it over, he recognizes that that the son that he's turning it over to primarily is not that. Wow. And so having the humility to say, okay, let's let's allow it to get kind of transformed as it scales. Now, I also yeah. think there's a difference when you have something that is growing as you hand it mm-hmm. off versus something that's like staying the same or something that's maybe even declining as you hand it off. Um, and but I think yeah I think the kind of the recognition of the gifting of the people that you have around you and the humility to not force it to be the way it's always been um, from like an because for us from an organizational perspective it's like well we're we're still a relatively young organization it's like twenty years old yeah. but there's been a lot of kind of scale in the past um, you know five ish years that's good and so I think that humility is I think that's probably the bit the best quality that he has and allowing his other son to take it to a different level than what he even thought yes whether or not it's good or bad right. like I do feel like and especially somebody who's started something and created something like a business I have had a unique blessing of struggling. Like there's something about that, that if I were to pass it to the next generation, they don't really have that. Right. Um, but there are opportunities to give them ways to maybe even fail or learn and then level it up in a different way. Yeah. And it sounds like your, your family's doing that. Yeah. And it starts with, I think the owner or the the creator in this example is humble enough to know that they're going to do it differently. Mm-hmm. The next generation is going to do it differently and that is okay. Yeah. In fact, they probably have to, to even grow it or, or see if it goes up or down, but they have to be responsible for this, man. What an interesting opportunity. It's been, I mean, the stuff that I do in my job is, so, you know, like I went from kind of big time corporate America mm-hmm. to, you know, a family business where it's like, I work wow. with the family. Yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, it's the most fun thing. Um, and it, and it's, and it's fun because you like, you see somehow the team that they've assembled around them and it's just a real, a, you know, a group of pretty incredible people, mm. um, that want to go, you know, build, build a great company and, and surround yeah. themselves with, with, um, really good leaders. That's good. That's good. I just have one more question. Let's go. So one of our pillars is also a victorious vision. Mm-hmm. So even just that idea of, envisioning what you want your life to look like um, and starting with like the end in mind. So one question for you is kind of, let's say you flashed forward like 40 years. Um, So you're in your, you'd be in your seventies, I presume. So, and you're reflecting back on your life. Like what do you envision that like you and your wife would be looking back on um, that tells a story of like how you guys were like good stewards. Yeah. I mean, I think one, so one thing, if I can go 20 years in the future, sure. one of the things that we've talked really specifically about is like the type of grandparents we want to be. Oh, that's good. Um, because we just, you know, we've talked to even like, like I, I've looked at, okay, what does my career look like in 20 years? So that, 
if we have a kid that, you know, one of our kids just needs something that we can drop everything and be the type of uh, parents that are there. It's good, Andrew. And, and so I think <clears throat> that's honestly, I'm probably not thinking 40 years. I'm thinking more sure. 20 years right now. And that's to me right now, that's kind of really where the focus is. And part of it is, is because like, yeah. I look at, you know, 20 years from now, it's like, well, my, my kids will be in their mid to late twenties. And so, um, so I, looking back on kind of my mid to late twenties, um, you know, my, my wife and I were pretty independent, but the idea being that we want to have, we want to be there if they need us. Yeah. Um, and so we're building, you know, we want to build our life over the next 20 years in a way that facilitates mm. that sort mm-hmm. of, um, that sort of support for our kids. Yeah. I mean, we want our kids to go off and do amazing things, but we also want to be the type of people that they, those type of people want us to want to be around. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's like using your wealth to buy time freedom. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's the really most good. valuable resource. <laughs> There it is. Okay, I got one question. Yeah. What are you excited about with the uncommon in the future? Because you're kind of like a founding father, you know? Like not not kind of, he is. He, yeah, you totally are. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> that, sorry. I feel like here. you're one of those people that is going to guard the company to the next and then make sure the core values are staying mm-hmm. true. So what are you excited about the uncommon? I mean, I think I'm just excited for the the idea that other people would get to opt in to something mm-hmm. and be really excited about it. Like yeah. to me, that first weekend, the reason that it wasn't weird when <laughs> when you say, "Oh, I'm going to go hang out with six, with eight, with seven guys Strangers. I don't know," yeah. is because there was like this buy-in where it's like, "I'm in." Like mm-hmm. I'm going to do. It. It's not mm-hmm. like, "Well, you know, my wife really said I should," or yeah. like something like that. It was like, "I'm going to do this," and so every by by opting in, it's not this like one foot in. Passiveness. It's, I'm, I'm diving in. Yeah the deep end of the pool at first and if so, it's deep or not i'm yeah. diving in and so like to me it's like what i would want to see it be is a whole bunch of people that that's their mentality like yeah. and maybe you don't want me to say this but i'm gonna say it anyway like if someone's like mm, i don't know don't then don't them. then don't do it's it it's not the like, time yeah get out like yep. because because yep. that's, that's not okay yeah 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 so totally yeah I, i'm saying like if, if you're gonna show up at an event or be in like be in the thing and that's what made it so awesome. Yes, there's too many people who are kind of like leaning in one foot in, one foot out. Like that doesn't seem like an uncommon thing to do. It seems like a very common thing yes, to do. Yes, yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. It just means that you're maybe not ready for this. or But yes. but pour yourself into something yes. and get excited about it. We we obviously get excited about this. Obviously. Changing people's life and, and having authentic relationships. And that's what you're talking about. And like, especially with having like a, somebody, money between friends. Like, hey, this is it. I'm open and, and here's my core values. Does my money line up with those? Yeah. Give me feedback. Yeah. Allowing someone that you trust to get an inside look and just even say like, do you, what do you see that maybe I'm not seeing? Even Mm -hmm. like the example you gave of like, well, when's the last time you like took your wife on a date? Like, how are you using your money to go towards your values or invest in like relationship with your kids? Things like that. That's good. And our listeners have heard that, uh, our first, the fraternity weekend, we all started with me saying words to each person of what I thought and how I, I perceive them. Uh, I'm going to say the same one that I said, do you remember what mine was for you? Calculated. Sure was. <laughs> uh, it's calculated and Andrew's calculated and you can hear it in his voice. He gets excited about it, but he also then lines up everything that he does to make sure that his stewardship is calculated. And it's not just a one hit wonder. This is a long period. I mean, he has a 20 year vision. Yeah. Who has that? He also named his kids before he even had kids. So uh, calculated. In linear form. That's right. So the dominoes good. falling in place. It is. Uh, <laughs> such good wisdom, Andrew. Thank you for being on. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thank fun. you.
and I'm excited for just the future. If anybody has any questions, Andrew is an open book. Would love to talk through anything. Uh, and, and I think our challenge to you today is to have a friend that you can be open and honest with, with your finances and help them be, help you be calculated with your stewardship. Beautiful. That's all I got. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Thanks. You've been listening to the, the uncommon podcast. I've been your host, Philip. I'm Ryan. Till next time. Go be calculated. <laughs> <laughs>